0: You're listening to The Light Weekly, the weekly podcast ministry of The Light KC. If you would like more information about our journey to reimagine church, visit us online at thelightkc.org. We're starting a brand new sermon series today called, Who Do You Say I Am? Who do you say I am? This man, Jesus. I mean, he's kind of the hype for the week, right? He's who you're going to hear about. He's here and who the the one you're going to hear the stories about. Who is this man, Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? And as we walk through this week, we want you to be able to understand not only who he is, but why he came and why he did what he did to reconcile us back to a holy God so that what was broken all those years ago in the garden can be restored. Who do you say he is? Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at this man, Jesus, pretty in depthly, and we're going to ask the question, who is he? What do you want from him? Whom are you looking for, and what now? Those seem like pretty basic questions that no doubt you can ask on any given day about any given subject, but we're going to dive into Jesus. This week is known as commonly known as Palm Sunday, and you were given palms as you came in. If you didn't get one, let us know. We'll figure that out. But later, we're going to have you do something a little special with those palms. And I want you to think about the story. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the man who Jesus healed of his blindness. But as Jesus was entering the city, he was being worshipped. Loud hosannas were ringing out. And his disciples were ready to celebrate. They were there to celebrate Passover, which was the Jewish tradition to celebrate. They had been rescued, right? They had been rescued all of those generations before from slavery in Egypt. So the Passover was the celebration that they had been rescued once, and Jesus is about to do it again. And so Jesus was honoring the tradition while anticipating the coming promise. He was honoring what was and what was important to his culture while also honoring and anticipating what was happening that week. I think if we consider who was in the crowd that day, no doubt there were people who he probably healed. There were people who had heard the stories. They had heard the Sermon on the Mount. They had heard all the things that Jesus had done, maybe even had one-on-one time with him. And now he was coming in and he was the king. They were worshiping, they were praising, they were full of hope. They were waiting for the government to be overthrown and the new Messiah, the new king to take over. But I want to look at one in particular person. And although I don't know for sure he was there, Barnabas, we're going to look at his story because he would have been one of many in the crowd. Jericho, the city, this is where he was healed, the city where Jesus healed him was down the road about a 15-mile walk from Jerusalem. Now, how many of you like to walk 15 miles in a day? Anyone? No? Why not? I mean, I do that when I go to the city. But anyway, um, so Jericho was like a 15-mile walk from Jerusalem and was known in biblical days as the City of Palms. There was so much that took place in Jesus's ministry around this area, and we want to look closely at the history of it. And so the first time that we come to the story about a healing of Barnabas is found in the Matthew account. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, we're going to be in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 20. And this is what it says. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately, immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Now, how awesome would it be for you to be born blind? And the first thing you see when you are healed is Jesus. Right? This is an exciting story. So maybe you're wondering why is this important on Palm Sunday? Why just this particular story? Why now? I want to give you a little background. When we find that Matthew is speaking of these two men who were blind that needed to see, neither of them are given a name. But if you look through all of the Gospels, you can find an account in Mark 10 and Luke 18 with slightly different perspectives, but biblical scholars agree they're talking about the same encounter. Now, if you wonder why they sound a little different, how many of you have more than one child? you have more than one? Okay, and if they see the same movie or have the same thing happen to them, do they tell you the account the exact same way? No, they tell it from their perspective and the way they saw it, the way they heard it. And so that's why we have the same story in different gospels in a little different way because we have personalities happening here. But what happens is Jericho is perhaps one of the oldest cities on earth and has multiple references in the, New, or in the Old Testament, right? It's famous for the Battle of Joshua. It marched around the city and the walls came tumbling down. You remember that story? There's even a song, right? Jericho is a famous um, old city situated about 800 feet above sea level. And it is a beautiful oasis in the middle of a barren wilderness. So if you can imagine, the Dead Sea is there, and there's wilderness all around you, but then there's this beautiful, lush area called Jericho. Because it's lush is because there is an underground spring that just keeps it well-watered, and it's just beautiful. It's definitely a vacation spot. When King Herod the Great came on the scene, he built a palace about a mile south of where the Old Testament remains of Jericho would have been, and that became an extension of the um, area where people could live and dwell. So basically, there's two Jerichos, and um, they're about a mile apart, which explains how Jesus could both be coming and going to Jericho, right? He could literally be coming and going to the same place. So thousands of people are traveling along the road, Thousands of people are on their way to Jerusalem because of why they're celebrating the Passover. They're going to celebrate their freedom that they had from Egypt all those years ago. And so basically what that means is the paparazzi was in full swing, okay? They knew Jesus was on his way. Word of mouth is, is not quite as fast as it was, is today then, but let me just tell you, there was a buzz and so, per the text, two blind men were situated on the road that day. There would have been many on the road that day because they knew lots of people would be coming. And behold, they were sitting there, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us. Have mercy. The reason there were so many, they're only mentioned two, but there were, again, would have been so many there because this was a prime time for those who made their living on begging and had no other choice. There was no welfare system. There was no government system to take care of them. Lots of people were going to be coming. So they needed to be where the people were. And so there they are. They hear the murmurs. They hear the footsteps. They hear the shouts. So here he is, quiet, listening, and then all of a sudden, something in him was like, I'm not letting this opportunity pass me by. The Savior, the Messiah, is that what they say about him? That he heals people? What would he do for me? What would he do for me? Maybe at first he thought well maybe he'll give me money. Maybe he's going to give me enough money that I don't have to do this for a while. But here's what I want you to know. In verse 30 when it says that he cried out the Greek word there is krazo and which is used for any sort of screaming or anguish shout. Krazo is the word used for the rate the the raiding de- ra- I can't speak. The rantings of an insane person. And also the cries of a woman in labor. I do not think those two have anything related. I'm just saying. But you understand the intensity, especially if you've been in labor, the intensity of crying out. This word, krazo, he cries out. He cries out in just 5 short days the crowd would crazo yell out to Jesus to be crucified in mark 15 and Jesus would later crazo out when he is yielding his spirit on the cross in matthew 27 this is an anguished cry this is a place deep down in your soul it's not simply go chiefs or go royals we're in baseball season i forget what season i'm in right It is something deep within you that knows you need to be heard, knows that there is something going on in you that you have to let it out. But it says the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Oftentimes, when we cry out of desperation, of what's going on around us, it makes the crowd near us a little uncomfortable. Right? At times, the shushing of the crowd towards the one in need comes from a place of indifference towards the plight of who's crying out. Have you ever heard someone cry out in desperation? How does it make you feel? What about when you see someone on the street? maybe a homeless person, how does that make you feel when they cry out? Do you want to quiet them? Do you want to get down with them and see what's going on in their life? So church, maybe the broader question for us this morning is, who's crying out that we have either been sushing or indifferent towards? Who's crying out in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, that perhaps we are saying, could you be quiet? I don't, I don't want to hear that. Or we have become indifferent. Biblical scholar F.F. Bruce noted this, the two blind men refused to be bludgeoned into silence by an indifferent crowd. They refused to be quiet. So instead, they got louder. Their krazo went from 10 to 11. They got louder and louder. They screamed out for the mercy of Jesus. It's now or never. I am in the presence of Jesus. This, they were crazy about getting the attention of Jesus. But in verse 32, this is so powerful. It says, "And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord. What do you want? Lord, Lord, come here. Quick, fast, hurry, come over. I want to see you. Lord, let your let our eyes be open. And Jesus had pity on them. And Barnamaeus and his friend got what they wanted. But there's something powerful, is how that verse starts, and it says, and stopping. Jesus stopped. He could have kept walking. He could have ignored it. He could have just asked them why I was walking. What do you want? No. Jesus stopped. He stopped. Their cries made Jesus stop in his tracks. N.T. Wright says it like this The voice that had called to them, the voice they guessed must be Jesus, was asking them a question nobody had asked them for years and years What do you want me to do for you? We want to see. And Jesus was deeply moved. He knew what it had cost them and would cost them to dig down beneath the hard crust of a lifetime of begging for money and to ask instead for the one thing that really mattered. And they did, and they followed him. Following Jesus will be costly. But if he's already given you everything you really wanted, what else is there to do? He could have played it safe. But in that moment, he decided that he was going to go for gold. And he was gonna ask for what he really needed and what he really wanted in that moment. Not a quick fix, not a Band-Aid, but what he really needed. And let me just tell you, his whole identity changed in that instant. He was no longer the blind beggar on the side of the road, but he was a healed man who was following Jesus. He was given a new identity. And that's what happens when we cry out to Jesus and we ask him to be and heal us. We get a new identity in the moment. Amen. Whatever you need to cry out to him, you have to take the risk. How awesome is it when we take the risk? That breathtaking moment for him, everything in his life had changed. The thing that seemed unrealistic. The thing that seemed like he couldn't possibly do. What do you want me to do for you? How would you respond today to that question? Jesus is here and he's asking you, what do you want me to do for you? What is it today that you are crying out for mercy in your life? What area of your life do you need that mercy? Where in your life do you feel sidelined and you're begging for, for, for mercy, you're begging for that thing, but you aren't quite brave enough or bold enough or whatever enough to cross out to Jesus. That cry that comes from that deep place of knowing you need something different than what you've had and what you've experienced. It's a powerful question that Jesus asked that day but he didn't just ask it and leave it empty. He took action. Barnabas had to also take action. He would have never been healed just as all the others on that journey that day that were not healed or that we don't know about because they weren't bold enough. They weren't strong enough. They didn't even have a mustard seed type of faith to holler out to Jesus. But Jesus had asked this question before what do you want me to do for you in mark 10 he's asking his disciples james and john and it says this then james and john the sons of zebedee came to him teacher they said we want you to do we want you to do for us whatever we ask and jesus says what do you want me to do for you They replied, let one of us sit on the right of your right hand and the other on your left in glory. You see, Jesus' closest followers who had been with him for three years wanted glory in response to Jesus' question. Do you see the difference? Do you see that They still see Jesus as the Messiah who's about to come and take over and rule. And and there's going to be a new government. There's going to be a new sheriff in town. And and they want to make sure that they are in a place of honor and glory. Later that same day, Jesus has an encounter with the beggar, Barnabas. And his disciples are looking. And I just wonder if when Jesus asked him the question, if he's looking over to John and and, uh, James going, "Do do you see what's happening here? Like, What do you want me to do for you? Now, it doesn't mention body language or facial expressions, but I just feel like that's what would happen. Like Jesus is down here and he's looking at the blind beggar and he's like, what do you want me to do? John, James, glory, see the difference? But How do you respond? How do you respond? If I'm honest, there's times in my life where um, when Jesus asked me, what do you want me to do for you? I definitely want the Glory. I definitely want that. Lord, you know, I really liked some things um, in my ministry. Those were good things. I want that all the time. I like, I like that. I, I like those pats on the back. I like that thing, that glory. But it's really for your glory, God. So it, it's okay. It's building your kingdom. I'm following you. So what do I really want? Yeah, the glory. That sounds good. It sounds safe. It sounds comfortable. It sounds like there's not much suffering involved. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. But some of us are sidelined in our life, and we're miserable, and we're begging for something. And that's the thing that Jesus wants us to be honest enough to cry out to him about that thing that keeps you sidelined. Maybe it keeps you sidelined in your walk with Jesus. Maybe it keeps you sidelined in your marriage. Maybe it keeps you sidelined in your family. Maybe it's your job, but there is something that is keeping you from having the relationship with Jesus and the relationship with others that you need because you are needing to beg for mercy. Bartimaeus was in a state of physical blindness. He could not see. But somehow he could see so much more than John and James. In that moment, he knew that it didn't mean, that his name wouldn't be written down and we'd be talking about it 2,000 years later, but it would be that he could see and never be blind and never be a beggar again. Mark's account has an interesting detail about what happened after the healing. And it says, And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and he began following him on the road he didn't go and tell anybody he he didn't he didn't go and like i got to find my friends i got to find i got to go get a new life oh no 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 you have healed me i am going to follow you now i don't have to go and do something else i am going to follow you now a biblical scholar notes the term made you wells from the greek word zo, zozo which referred to any kind of rescue or deliverance including deliverance from physical affliction it's also <clears throat> the most common new testament term for salvation the deliverance from sin through christ in what would seem to be the meaning in jesus final words to these men while people may be healed without faith no one can be saved without faith it is only by god's grace working through faith that a person can be saved and when paul wrote in ephesians 2: Two eight for by grace you have been saved through faith. What did Jesus do that day? For blind eyes is a vivid portrayal of what he desires to do in our blind souls. He wants to help us see. He wants us to not be blind. He wants us to have a new label. The label, the one and only the child of the king. And so many of us are wearing different labels. We are wearing the labels that are given to us by man. What Jesus did for him, he can do for you. He isn't really looking to play it safe. Um, Jesus literally didn't take ministry to, to a safe level. Like he knew when he was on the way to celebrate Passover on that day, on that road, and he healed the blind man, that in just a very few short amount of days, he would be on a cross dying. Do you know why? So that you don't have to remain spiritually blind any longer. That he too is asking you, what do you want me to do for you? This Palm Sunday, when we sing Hosanna, to the king? When we shout Jesus in the streets and on the mountaintops and over our families, what do you want him to do for you? And the answer to that question reveals so much about our hearts as it did with the disciples and as it did with the beggars. It reveals our deepest desire. It reveals those things that maybe Jesus needs to work on. But what do you want him to do for you? And when he does it, our response should be, I am following you. I I don't care who else follows you. I don't care what else happens. I am following you to the ends of the earth till I breathe my last breath. Where do you need to shout out to God? I don't know if any of you have ever had a screaming session with God. It's very therapeutic. Very therapeutic. And some of you think, oh, that's kind of disrespectful. Oh, no, no, no. I think that when we get face first, face down on the floor before God, and we have a yelling match, and I'm the one yelling, and God's like, okay, Gina. Let it all out, right? We cross oh. I have been in labor. I have had four children. And thank God there is epidurals. But guess what? It still hurts. Right? And for all you men, kidney stones. I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you that pain, that crying out to God. God, have mercy on me right now in this spot. I need you to do something that I cannot do myself. It's not make me a millionaire. It's not make me popular. It's not make me the biggest pastor in the world. It's not whatever, Lord, but have mercy on me. This is what I need from you. This right here. And that my identity would always be firmly planted in a child of the king, not in any label that anyone else will put on me. What do you need him to do for you? What do you need him to do for you? In your light bulb moment, answer that question What do you want him to do for you? He's here, he's asking you, what do you want? And then after I give you a couple of minutes, I want you to to take that, that light bulb moment and I want you to take your palm branch and I want you to bring that and I want you to firmly plant it here as we worship Jesus. Say, you are worthy of my praise. You are worthy because you have stepped into this place and you have given me a new identity. And we cry, oh, so we cry out to God. We cry out, have mercy on us. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to connect with us, please visit our website at thelightkc.org. More information is available in the show notes.